Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Matthew chapter 6, we'll be looking this morning at verses 7 and 8. Hear the word of God. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Let us pray. Our Lord, we come before you now asking for that which you do know that we need, and that is the help of your Spirit to overcome our own lethargy, our intellectual and spiritual laziness, and just the blindness of our fallen natures to hear your word. Lord, open our eyes. Open our ears to hear your word. Lord, we pray that you would feed us on the manna of the word of God. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, if you've been with us, we are in a series of studies in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Last week, we looked at Jesus' teaching insofar as it regards our Uh, acts of righteousness or acts of piety or devotion, if you will, as Christians, particularly in the areas of giving, of praying, and uh, fasting. And we saw that Jesus, in each case, uh, instructs us to be careful that we don't do those things or anything else that we do in terms of the practice of our faith for the purpose of being seen by other people. In other words, we need to be careful that our motivation is not to win the applause of people. Because, Jesus says, if that's true, if our motivation really is the approval, the commendation of people, then we'll get our reward. And those in his day, Jesus said, they have their reward. Uh, People who would look at them and say, well, you know, how holy, how pious, how righteous, what a guy, what a girl. They got that, but they got no more. Rather, Jesus says, we ought to give, not even letting our left hand know what our right hand is doing. In other words, not only not making it a show for other people, but insofar as possible, avoiding any kind of self-congratulatory attitude, patting ourselves on our own backs, even if no one else knows. As for prayer, Jesus said, well, go into your room and close the door and spend time with your father in secret. As for fasting... Jesus said that when you fast, uh, you are to go about your routine as much as possible. You're not to make it evident, make a show of it to to other people to try to impress them. And in those cases where the giving is secret, the praying is secret, the fasting is secret, our Father who is in secret sees, and we have his approval, and we have fellowship with him, and we have his ear, we have his eye. And after all, as Christians, that's what we are seeking. But in the middle of all of that, Jesus provides something of, uh, of, a, of a rabbit trail, an excursus, an elaboration on this topic of prayer. And Lord willing, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking in some detail at what Jesus has to say here about prayer. 
uh, because prayer obviously is a vital and a large part and should be a large part of the Christian life. And so we're looking at it separately. We looked last week at verses five and six where Jesus presses on us care in our motivation in praying, uh, not praying to impress others, uh, but praying for the eye and the ear of God. Well, Jesus goes on then in verses 7 through 14, 7 through 15, to give further instruction in prayer. Uh, These verses that we're looking at today, verses 7 and 8, serve to, in a way, clear the deck for that body of teaching known as the Lord's Prayer. We'll take a look at the Lord's Prayer, Lord willing, in the weeks to come. But today we're going to be looking at these, these couple of verses that pave the way, that introduce Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That's primarily negative. This is how the pagans pray, the Gentiles isn't referring here to Gentile Christians, he's referring to pagans, the nations, those outside of the covenant, those in, still in the darkness of, of their fallenness. Uh, Jesus says, this is how they pray and you are not to be like them. However, even though it's framed primarily negatively, there are some positive admonitions that we can find in these verses that uh, certainly serve as a general introduction to the subject of prayer even as the Lord's Prayer goes into more specific and detailed instruction about prayer. So today, three admonitions in general uh, that we ought to have in mind as we think about this subject of prayer. First, from number seven, uh, verse, verse seven, Jesus is telling us that we ought to pray often. We ought to pray often. Look again at verse seven. And when... You pray. Now, you'll notice that um, this is following the language he's been using. When you give, verse 2. When you pray, verse 5. Verse 16. When you fast. These are not if you give, if you pray, if you fast, but when. These were assumed to be a normal part of the Christian life. When we talked about fasting last time, certainly we're more familiar with giving, praying, fasting, Seems a little weird, and yet in Jesus' day, and I suggest in our own day, fasting is a normal part of the Christian life. Uh, But here Jesus is assuming prayer when you pray. I'm afraid all too often for Christians, sometimes that comes down to if you pray. It may be so sporadic, so infrequent that it really is an if you pray. Now remember, Jesus has in mind secret prayer. Remember back in verse 9, go in your room, shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret. Now, certainly public prayer is is fine. We talked about that last time. This verse doesn't rule that out. But Jesus has in mind here uh, primarily our secret prayer. When you pray, when you do go into your room, when you do close the door, which can become infrequent because it's easily pressed out by the, the routines, the, the busyness of life. But Jesus is assuming that. But what he says here certainly applies to public prayer also. When you pray. You see, prayer is expected. Normal part of the Christian life. Do you pray? 
Well, prayer is also necessary when you pray implies that there are situations, and this is probably far more common than we'd like to admit, when we're afraid, when we're nervous, when we're anxious, when we're uncertain. That's the necessities that bring about prayer. When you pray, when things happen and you do pray, but I think beyond that, before that, prayer is simply expected as a pattern, a rhythm of the Christian life. It's the only time you pray when you pray publicly. It ought not to be. Public prayer ought to be the tip of the iceberg in a Christian's prayer life. And one of the best ways, by the way, to apply what Jesus was saying in verses 5 and 6, a lack of concern for the approval of others in prayer, is that your public prayer is just uh, the outcroppings of a deep time, deep pattern uh, of prayer alone in secret with God, where you're accustomed to, to seeking God's ear in prayer without regard and certainly out of the hearing of other people. And that pattern is set so that when you do pray publicly, really you're focused on the Lord and not so much what other people think. But that's the first admonition here I think is implicit, and that is that we pray often, that prayer is a part of the normal pattern of our Christian life. Now, that may mean and usually means that we have to schedule that time. For you, it may be early morning. For you, it may be late at night. Maybe midday. Not so important when. It's important, though, that you do purpose and have time that you spend with your Father in secret in prayer. Pray often. Prayer is a regular part of the Christian life. Second positive admonition that we find here in this passage that Jesus gives to us, not only do we pray often, but we are to pray simply. Remember, Growing junior high and high school years, and especially when I got into college, I uh, really was growing a great deal as a Christian and, and was concerned about my prayer life, wanting to pray better, reading a lot of books about prayer, thinking a great deal, studying the scriptures about prayer, uh, and almost becoming discouraged, not so much from the scriptures, but from various books I'd read and conversations I'd had, teaching i had heard about prayer, because it started to seem so complicated. All these things to remember, all these various points that ought to be covered, uh, it, it almost buried me. And it certainly seemed to take the joy out of praying. Praying uh, seemed hard. It seemed something difficult to master. And yet, fundamentally, our prayer should be simple. And we'll talk a little bit more about structure here in just a minute, but let's look at what Jesus is saying. When you pray, again, something assumed, something expected, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do because they think that they will be heard for their many words. Well, what Jesus rules out here uh, is a certain attitude about prayer, but let's look first of all at the words. He says, do not heap up empty phrases. In, In Greek, very compact, tight language, that's two words. One for not, to negate it, and the other for heaping up empty phrases. Uh, the word that he uses is a form of the word batalogeo, which is somewhat mysterious. It's a unique word. You don't really find it anywhere else. Uh, but the idea of bata, logeo, logos, the words you're speaking, bata, there's some thinking that maybe that's meant to be onomatopoeia, which means it sounds like what it is. You know, like the word blast kind of sounds like, well, a blast. 
well, the, th- the thinking here is that this word may be similar to the word the Greeks had for people who spoke other languages. They refer to them politely as barbarians. Why? Because their language that they didn't know sounded to them like bar, 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 so they call them barbarians. Well, this is what their sound- language sounded like. Well, there's some thought here that that's the idea of this word, bata, bata. It sounds kind of like stuttering or just saying syllables. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Empty phrases, words, phrases that really don't have meaning. Empty words, many words. They think they will be heard for their many words going on and on and on. And the idea that Jesus is speaking against here is that of pagans that they had, that if they, if they named all of their gods, if they addressed all of their petitions to all of their gods, if they just went on and on and eventually wore their gods down with the sheer volume of words, that they would get what they wanted, that they'd have a better chance of getting an answer to their prayer. Now, Jesus is telling his disciples here, that they are to watch out for that kind of thing. Because what lies underneath the empty words, the sheer volume of words, is the idea that they could somehow manipulate their gods. And he he tells his disciples, don't you get that idea from the pagans around you that somehow you can manipulate God into giving you what you want. Now, he's telling them that there's a danger that much of their prayer may be similar to that of pagans around them. And if he were around today, he might be saying something of the same thing to us. So he takes issue with their many words, their empty words, and their wrong assumptions. Again, they think they will be heard for their many words. Now, again, the point here is not that our prayer necessarily should be short. It has to do with our hearts. Do we think that just because we pray a lot of words or we pray in a certain way, that somehow God is obligated, that we're verbally twisting his arm into giving us what we want? The answer, of course, is no. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, we need in our praying to be careful to avoid manipulation, trying to manipulate God in prayer, trying to manipulate God in any way. Somehow we think we can maneuver God about to get him to do what we want. If we could just play him right, he'll answer our prayer. He's also saying here, avoid what is mechanical in prayer. Avoid just mindless saying of words. Now, this brings up some questions I want us to think about in terms of our own prayer lives. Uh, If we're going to avoid the mechanical, we need to be careful about the mindless use of set Forms. Uh, now, by the way, this doesn't rule out the use of forms. We want to be careful that we don't just fall into, into patterns, either something written down or even the danger of our own habitual expressions when we pray supposedly extemporaneously uh, and yet through habit become as enslaved to certain phrases or words that mindlessly come out of our mouths as anybody enslaved to a written form. Uh, Jesus isn't taking exception To either of those, we can pray written prayers. When we pray extemporaneously, that is without any prior arrangement or thought, we ought to be careful that we just don't fall into set expressions. Um, In fact, I think we do well to use some set forms in prayer. 
to give order, to give structure to our prayer. Uh, some of you may be familiar with Archie Parrish's work. Archie uh, is a PCA minister with Serve International, uh, and he has had republished uh, some of Martin Luther's teaching on prayer uh, under the, the name of Simple Way to Pray. When Luther's barber asked him about how to pray, and Luther uh, wrote down some thoughts for him and gave him some forms in prayer to follow, forms that you may be familiar with. One is the Ten Commandments. Have you ever gone through the Ten Commandments and prayed each one and taken each one and prayed about that item, confessing the sin that it refers to, repenting of it, praying for God to help you be obedient to him with that commandment, going through the commandments, the Apostles' Creed, going through each of those items and praying over each one, praising God for each one, going through, and we'll do this in more detail, Lord willing, the Lord's Prayer. Not as a prayer itself, but as it, I think, is meant to be, and that is a pattern for prayer. Guidelines under each heading, each petition, a guideline for how we are to pray, how we to approach God. Those things can become mechanical, but they can also add new life to a tired prayer life uh, by, by using these forms. If you want an inspired form, go to the Psalms. Pray through Psalm 145 when you feel short on words for praising God, just adoring God. Take those words. Make them your own. Don't speak of God as God. Speak to God as you. And make them direct and make them personal. Uh, I personally enjoy using Banner of Truth's publication, The Valley of Vision, which is a collection of Puritan prayers. In fact, sometimes when we have a corporate confession of sin, that's where those prayers come from, although I, I adapt them for congregational use, uh, magnificent prayers to, to pray through. And again, taking those words, making them your own, praying them not mindlessly but from the heart. So mechanical forms. Beware not of mechanical forms or written forms, but mindless use of written forms. Mindless use of lists. I, I, maybe you've experienced this. I experience this danger. I have a notebook that I keep prayer requests in. Uh, some of them are under daily Something particularly urgent, someone in the hospital, for instance. Uh, some of them are weekly, days of the week, that I pray for different things, family members and so forth, on different days of the week. And some of them are, are things that I pray for on a given day of the month. I pray through all of you in this congregation that way. On um, you know, a certain day, pray for several families in the church. That's a good way to do it. But sometimes it can become mechanical. Well, I've done this, turn the page, pray this, and I have to be aware of that. And you do too. Praying mindlessly or mechanically through lists like that can be numbing. There are times when you just need to take the prayer notebook, toss it away, and just pray what comes to mind and, what, and pray what is on your heart. Pray for the families or the people that God brings to mind without resorting to lists. The lists are helpful you want to avoid them becoming simply a mindless and mechanical thing. We've already mentioned mindless phrases of habit that creep into our otherwise spontaneous prayers, right? Uh, lead, guide, and direct, you know? I mean, you know them. And it's easy to fall into that, especially if you pray often privately, and certainly if you pray often publicly, it can be a challenge to think of new ways, new ways to express the same truths. So Jesus here is not speaking against long prayer 
In fact, Jesus himself prayed for long periods of time. We have one of them written. John 17 is high priestly prayer. Other times when it says Jesus prayed all night. Uh, But Jesus also prayed very short prayers. The main thing here, again, as has been the case through the Sermon on the Mount, has to do with the heart. Am I trying to put God in my debt? Am I trying to manipulate God? Am I trying to pressure him to get him to do what I want him to do through praying in this way? No. What is your motivation? Fundamentally, prayer should be a simple thing. Prayer should be something we do as Christians often, even impulsively, instinctively. But the third thing that Jesus says here is that prayer should be something we do confidently. We should pray confidently. You see, the pagan prayer was not confident. There was no assurance, which is why they went to such lengths in their prayer to try to gain the hearing of their gods. But as Christians, that's not true of us. We don't doubt the love, the regard, the benevolence, the goodness of God. And not just God, but God, our Father. Our confidence rests in the fatherhood of God. Look at verse 8. Do not be like them. Why not? Because your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You see, God is personal to us. He is our Father. He knows us. He knows us well. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what we need. He loves us. How can you look at the cross and doubt the love and the regard and the good and kind intentions of God toward us. You see, when we pray, we're not putting coins in the machine trying to get a desired outcome. We are fellowshipping, communicating with our Heavenly Father who loves us and who knows us. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And implied in that is the willingness on God's part to provide for us, to give us what we need even before we ask him. John Calvin, commenting on this verse, says this. He says, believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him or of exciting him to do his duty or of urging him as though he were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into his bosom, in a word, that they may declare that from him alone they hope and expect, both for themselves and for others, all good things. What a difference. You see that, by the way. 1 Kings 18, showdown on Mount Carmel. Between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. The prophets of Baal chanting, singing, even reduced to the point of flaying their backs with whips, all in hopes of gaining Baal's attention. And Elijah's prayer is so simple. Lord, let them see that you are God. Show your power. Show that you are the one true and living God. And the fire came down from heaven. Not because Elijah manipulated God, but because he walked with God and knew God as his father and prayed confidently and simply that God would hear and answer his prayer and glorify himself. Now, we need to be careful. I was thinking about Calvin's comment, and Calvin isn't saying, and we need to be aware of the attitude, well, you know, prayer doesn't change God, it changes us. Now, that's true. Do you think that you change the mind of God? Of 
course not. It's not as though you've provided him with new information. It's not as though you've given him a more accurate perspective on what's going on. But prayer does change things because God has ordained prayer as a secondary cause, as a means to an end of accomplishing his purposes. God not only ordains that this should happen, he's also ordained that God's people should pray, and in answer to those prayers, this should happen. And so prayer does change things. Prayer does help fulfill the will of God. But where that is unknown, we pray because our prayers and God's answer to our prayers may be the very means of bringing about what God has in mind and what we desire. And certainly... Where God's plan is different than ours. We yield to his perfect wisdom. We yield to his perfect goodness. So we want to be careful. But the fact is, Calvin's absolutely right. We seek God as much for our own benefit as for his. And certainly we don't inform him or tell him anything, tell him anything we don't know. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. What a difference that makes in the way that we approach God. We approach him personally as our father. We approach him gladly as someone who cares about us. We approach him confidently, knowing that he has our best interest in heart and knowing that he does hear our prayers as we come to him through Christ. Well, we'll talk more about that as we get into the Lord's Prayer. But for now, we just need to remember this. Prayer is assumed as a normal and frequent part of the Christian life. It can be long, it can be short, it can be formal, it can be informal, it can be scheduled, it can be spontaneous, and it should be all of those things. Prayer is not to be manipulative, not to be mechanical, but personal. It's children talking to their father, confident of his love, his care, his wisdom, his goodness. Let's pray. Father, what a joy to call you that. We thank you for prayer. Lord, we pray that prayer in our lives would not be a source of frustration, certainly not a source of guilt, but more and more a source of joy, a source of life. Lord, not so much something we have to make ourselves do as something that we impulsively do as we live before you each day. Father, we pray that we would be people of prayer. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.